Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. With a God story or a song or a revelation from the Word. (laughs) Daniel, come on up. Hello, good evening. Um, so last night I was talking to my mom. It had been a little, a little while since we spoke and, uh, she asked me about the church and I said, you know, we've been going okay. Uh, told her that we moved and everything and she knew that, but all of a sudden she started to talk to me about just like on the spot what she felt for the church. And I said, oh my goodness, that is exactly what Jay and I had talked about as a goal. Um, as a new vision for the church. So she kept talking, and I said, listen, stop right now. My mom. And I said, stop. Text me everything that you're telling me right now, because I need, this is going to be for tomorrow. And she said, okay. Um, So let me just find it. So it's kind of scattered here, so bear with me. Uh, She started with prayer, worship, and the word are the three swords the church possesses to conquer Satan, her enemy. When God God calls a person to be an intercessor, he's calling a warrior. We are called to learn how to be an intercessor. It's more than praying. It's a battle to break yokes, to free the captives, to heal in the name of Jesus, bring salvation to the lost. When we come closer to the Lord in serious prayer and worship, we enter into the Holy of Holies, where the heart of God is. When Satan sees that he's losing ground in what's about to come, and the people of God are waking up to this empowering of the Spirit, he'll put up a fight to intimidate and lie. And that hit me. I said, wow, I wanted to share because of what's coming for the vineyard, the Cheyenne Vineyard. Expect opposition. Expect Satan to be angry, furious but laugh in his face because we know it's what God is moving the church to do. She says, Satan is not afraid of a lame Christian. He's terrified of a praying Christian and a worshiper. The church has to enter in training in how to pray in intercession. The church, oh, she said it twice. The church has to enter in training. One of the things, oh, and then she started sharing about another church she had visited but she saw that kind of vision for the church where you just start by worshiping, praying, even before the service. And, man, uh, I teared up, and I said, you don't even know why you're saying this, but I think it's spot on. So I was blessed, and I think it's right in line. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Wow, That's, that's like the third or fourth witness of what God's bringing us into. I mean, it's it's more than he's calling us in, into that. He's he's going to bring us into that. So, yes. Yes, Lord. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I was talking to an intercessor a real intercessor earlier this week, <laughs> a friend of yours, Lou. <laughs> uh, and she told me about this book that's related to 
the movie War Room. Do either of you know for sure which book that was? You got it? Okay, good. Because <laughs> there were two that I found, and I ordered them both. Uh, yeah, the Lord's going to bring us into training to be intercessors. And uh, a book that uh, I think probably all of us should read is Rees Howell's Intercessor. Uh, it will give you... Uh, a different understanding of of what it means to be an intercessor or a prayer warrior because there's two di two different things or two different aspects um, and then uh, another good one is Rees Howell's intercessor and then another one is uh, Changing the World Through Prayer and Fasting by Derek Prince that gives testimonies of how World War II shifted with concerted prayer and fasting uh, going on in England. Uh, who's next? That was a great start. Come on, Barbara. I've always liked Psalms 18. Um, because to me, it's a picture of the fierceness of the Lord. And I've tried to memorize it a couple times so that I could close my eyes and visualize it while I'm reciting it. So maybe if you close your eyes and just take in the words and get a picture of the fierceness of the Lord. And it starts out, the Lord is, uh, I will love you, Lord, O oh Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, <laughs> lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above, he took me, 
He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And it goes on for several more verses. But when I first realized what this was saying, it really touched my heart that just imagine him coming down here the next time you pray. Amen. So I'm going to tag on a little bit with what Daniel got from his mother for us. Because I, I think some of you haven't heard some of these words. Uh, the first one is from Terry Bennett, which was almost a year ago when uh, Kim and Phyllis and I went to see him in Nebraska. And it's, it's amazing where Terry will go. He, anybody can ask him to come, uh, and he'll go if the Lord says go. That church is smaller than our church. And, and he was there. And he was, he was really speaking about the Lord raising up Esther's people in, in these times that were in and entering into uh, the world. The body of Christ is going to need Esther's who have access to the throne at a different level than just everybody. Uh, Esther had been given that access to the throne because she became queen. But it was still a risk for her. But this is what Terry, uh, just a small part of, of what he said. Uh, but basically the Lord is doing this. And he said... Uh, a strong intercessory base is going to gather with a standing together on heavenly ground. A warrior group will come forth, and those, because of their humility and absolute dependence on God and the throne being engaged, God is going to win. In Cheyenne. <laughs> And there's, there's a lot more there, but that's uh, significant. And then uh, the word that Joy and I got in um, Labarge when we were there uh, is very significant about what the Lord is, is taking us into. Um, what I saw was a movement being birthed and transported on the wings of prayer. In the light of his glory, I saw your wings, the church and your lives, spreading and lifting off of the earthly realm into the heavenlies, standing on heavenly ground, praying from heavenly ground, which is to hear God and then pray what you know is his will. That's... And in faith, knowing that he's going to do it. Because he already told you he was going to do it if you asked him to do it. 
And that, that is preying on heavenly ground. Because there's no doubt. No doubt. The cry of intercession is to raise up the Debras in your midst in Cheyenne. Deborah had the breaker anointing of intercession. She resided between Ramah, a place of worldly adultery, and Bethel, an open heaven, so that this move would be solely birthed in God's sovereign move and provision. And the prophetic Issachar would rise up and join the Deborahs and the barracks with releasing the grace, the power to change. So the Lord is going to raise up the warriors, the Deborahs, the barracks, the sons of Issachar. I, I've been praying for longer than this church has been here uh, to be a son of Issachar. <laughs> as soon as I can. Because the sons of Issachar, they had a prophetic anointing because they knew the time that they were in and they knew what to do. So, who's next? <laughs> it doesn't have to be in this flow, but there, there's, a, there's a flow going here. <laughs> about a God story who's got a God story to share I got a bunch but I really don't want to stand up here the whole night <laughs> I'm going to tell some old stories because some of you don't know them and here's my rule if it happened here I'm going to tell it and if you're gone I'm going to tell it my way because you're not here to tell it so this is about John Wheeler. John was our bass player for a few years, and his blind eye was opened. Because I heard some people recently in healing rooms saying, I can't wait until we see a miracle. You know, I'm just waiting because then we'll have so much more faith. I'm like, now wait a minute. We've seen miracles. You just don't know. So John fell on his steps coming up from the basement, and one eye he couldn't see very well. It was just horrible. He went to the eye doctor, Dr. Perella, and looked in there, and he says, John, you've got a torn retina. You can have surgery, or you can wait. It will reattach. It takes about two years. Or, you know, let me know what you want to do. Um, I've helped with some of those surgeries. People have to lay, like, face down for days and days and days because the gas bubble has to stay just right or whatever. So that night or next, next time we had a small group, John's sitting on the couch in our living room. Maybe that day he got the diagnosis. And we all gathered around, laid hands on and prayed, and nothing happened. Nothing. And John didn't believe any of this stuff, truly. Uh, others of us did, but he was willing to let us pray. Next morning, John wakes up. He sees perfectly and clearly, and he goes back to the doctor. You got to look in my eye because something's changed. Well, John, I don't know what to tell you, but your retina is in the right spot. It's not detached anymore. John never had surgery. He never had another problem. Blind eyes can see. 
and unfortunately it didn't change his belief system and that that blew me away right <laughs> so how many of you have heard the God story about food multiplying on the reservation that means quite a few haven't okay so <clears throat> We've been going to the reservation quite a bit for eight years. We haven't done so much in the last two years. But this was about uh, probably three or four years ago. And often we would go and, and we would bring, uh, you know, household goods and clothing and food and have a giveaway. And sometimes we'd cook food and feed the people. And uh, so we were having a giveaway, and, and we were going to grill burgers and, and hot dogs and feed everybody who came. And, and usually, you know, we'd have 60 or 70 people come, and, you know, it, it, it would be good. But uh, <clears throat> it just, as I was buying food at Sam's, uh, I, I just felt like it was going to be different this time. <laughs> And so I asked the Lord, okay, how much food should I buy? And I bought twice as much as, as I normally would buy. So we would have been ready to feed maybe 150 people. So uh, we get there, and we're supposed to start at 4. We get there like at 2, and there's already like 75 people there waiting. And we find out that it's the last weekend of the month, so everybody's money's gone. And it's been on the radio all week that we were going to do this. So <clears throat> anyway, to make a long story sh short, uh, the line just didn't let up for like two and a half hours. And... I would guess that conservatively that we fed 350 people uh, and we never ran out of food. Randy said he, he couldn't believe it because he was grabbing hamburgers out of one box of food for like an hour and a half. And <laughs> it, it never ran out. So, you know, finally... The, the crowd clears, and, and we're all just kind of like, whew, what just happened? And so we all eat, and a little boy comes up, and, and he says, do you have any food left? And we had a hamburger and a hot dog left. And we gave it to him, and it was all gone. And the thing is, not only did we feed that many people, but everybody took, like, two. You know, they wanted two hamburgers or two hot dogs or a hamburger and a hot dog. So, I mean, there's, there's just no question that supernaturally that, that food went two or three times as far as it should have. So, praise God, because he did it. <laughs>
This is when we lived in uh, Bernalillo. And I've never been one to step out of the box much. I always wait for somebody else to step out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it was after an evening service. We had Spanish services on at night on Sundays. And uh, there was this lady that walked in. She wasn't part of the church. She was just off the street. And um, she happened to be a friend of somebody that was attending the church. And um, she needed a place to stay that night. And I don't speak much Spanish, but I felt like it was my uh, goal at that point in time to uh, make the Spanish people in t that town welcome in our church. So I made homemade cookies for the services that night and hung around and cleaned up and that kind of stuff. So anyway, I keep waiting for somebody to step up to take care of this lady. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and... The, and uh, the Lord says, you take her to the hotel and provide a place for her to stay. So I said, okay, I can do that. He says, I don't want you to take her home. That's not, that's not what I want you to do. You take her to this hotel. It's like, okay. So uh, I take her to this hotel and uh, tell, she needed to get on the bus the next morning. And she had, she had a bus ticket, but no way to get to the bus. So I thought, okay, well, we'll see. Get, if nobody else helps you, then uh, we'll see what the Lord says. So I uh, give her my phone number, and nobody called her. So she calls me, and she says she needs a ride. So I take her down to the bus stop down in Albuquerque. It's not in Bernalillo, so we had to go all the way into Albuquerque and uh, put her on the bus, and uh, then I went home, and the church... On, when, on Thursday night, the next night, somebody came up to me and she said, weren't you scared? And I said, no, should I ban? That Well, she wasn't one of the best people to have around. She could have just as soon slit your throat and taken what you were had on you or whatever. And I never had any fear. I never had any qualms about what I was doing because I knew the Lord wanted me to do this. And it was witnessing to this lady but I later realized it witnessed to me because I was stepping out and obeying, and I encourage you, step out and obey. So this happened a few years ago, quite a few. But it's happened throughout the years in different type of circumstances, but the same thing. And when I was a newer Christian, we were living in a mobile home park in um, Fort Collins. My kids were little. And I kept seeing, um, I didn't know very many people there, but I was newly saved and very on fire for the Lord and wanted to reach out and share him. And I kept seeing this girl on this wing um, she would just be out there. And everywhere I looked, it seemed like I'd always see her walking or on that swing, and I just felt really drawn to her. Like, I just need to go over and meet her, but I was very shy. And um, I'm just like, no. I almost go, no. No, I'm not going to go. She'll think I'm weird. She'll think I'm, you know. So I was afraid sometimes she would see me, like, looking at her. But I just was so drawn to her. 
but I didn't obey. <laughs> and I didn't walk up and meet her. And, um, but I knew that it was God telling me because it just wouldn't go away. But um, one day, my son, I went to pick him up from school, and he was playing with this little boy. And um, so he got in the car, and the little boy just started walking. And I said, well, because I'd seen him playing with Travis before. And I said, get in the car. I'll give you a ride home, because we all live in the park. And so I gave him a ride home, and his mom was that girl. And um, so I thought it was interesting, because even though I didn't obey, and I was new, God still wanted to use me and found a way to do it anyway because a lot happened after that and I met her and the first thing I said to her because I, I had fears of people picking my son up she didn't know me and I'm taking her son home and I just said I know you're you probably told Emilio not to go home with strangers and I just want you to know I'm a good person and him and Travis play and this is my son and so that's how the meeting happened well, she's weeping, and I'm weeping, and I'm weepy lately right now anyway, so it's still, it's so fresh. But I told her, just like somebody had told me in that same park, um, Tim was working out of state, and they came over and said, I just wanted to let you know that if you need a ride, because we had only had one car, and I was pregnant with Travis, she said, if you need a ride anywhere to the store or to do anything, I'm here, and she lived right next door. And it was through that woman that I received Jesus as my Savior. And um, I kind of remember when she came to me, and it wasn't long before that I had cried out to God because of some things that were happening in our lives. And I said, if you're real, you better show yourself. And then she brought up, well, I, would you like to have a Bible study sometime? And I'm like, the Bible? I mean, I'm just thinking, no, not the Bible. And I wasn't even connecting the two. I mean, I, I did not grow up in church. I remember going as a child a little bit. I didn't know that much about Jesus or sin or anything, but I'm like, the Bible, you know, the thing, you can't even understand it. So I wasn't even connecting that this was God answering my prayer. But I was shy. I couldn't say no. And I said, sure. After the baby's born, everything's crazy right now, and I'm trying to, like, delay it. Well, within two days after I came home, I got my Bible and my books and... But, you know, I was all ready to lay out my case that this makes no sense, but the Spirit had already been moving, and um, he touched me through his word. And I would do the study with her maybe only three times, and I'd go over at night. Well, Tim called. He was at his task. like, you won't believe what I found out about God. Because, and he already knew, he had kind of grown up in it, but that's not this story. But it kind of happened the same way for me. And it's so funny that I didn't obey because I was shy and I had fear. And, but God found a way and he used me anyway. And I ended up mentoring this girl who is just dear to my heart. I'm sorry that we've lost contact, but God did what he needed to do then. And um, I would go to her house and have studies with her because that's what was shown to me. And I, I didn't want to push anything. I was just telling her things that I found out. And she would share first her stories of struggles. And I would tell her, well, I've been finding out that this is what helps me. And do you know much about that? And I just try to do it in that way. And then before I know it, she's like, are you coming for lunch today? And so every day. But her husband was at work. But she started changing. And we were excited about the Lord while her husband wasn't. And he was mad that I was over there. 
and he'd just come in and give me the look, you know. But I really didn't have that much fear. It was so exciting what was happening. I wasn't afraid of that. So um, I would just say, I'll see you tomorrow. And so I left, and lo and behold, she had to start hiding the Bible that I gave her in any of the books, in any of our studies. And um, we would meet in secret. And then she was doing well and going to church and stood her ground finally, and we moved here. And about a year later, I found out that her husband became a youth pastor. So I just wanted to thank everyone who came for JoJo's graduation party, because that's a God story. We won't, that's not the one I'm going to tell, though, but I just wanted to thank everyone for the cards. It meant a lot. She's in Alaska as of yesterday, so for the summer, but thank you. She's with her sister, Marisi, so who knows? <laughs> Um, I've heard a couple things today that God said. Is the bass player guy still alive? The one with the retina? Oh, yeah. So we, we don't know if God's touched his life or not through that. I want to, well, I mean, whether it changed his belief system or not. We don't know. Well, there's still fertile soil there. So, because if I would have given up on these teenagers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep tilling that ground, right? That's what we're told. It works. So I have this little dog named Augustus. He's a poodle. Yes, I have a poodle. He's a really special poodle, poodle though. I got him for free. I don't really believe in buying dogs. Um, there's enough of them that need homes. But uh, this dog was brought to us literally by the Holy Spirit. I was out Whiskey Mountain. I took my mom out there because she hadn't seen the area before and I'd worked out there for the last four years and she wanted to know what it looked like. So we went on a special trip, and I drove her all over the mountains there, and I came back to one of the game and fish cabins I was staying at, and this dog ran around the corner. It was just this poofy, cutest dog that I'd seen. It was a little poodle puppy, and it ran and jumped into my arms. Well, given the area that I'm in, just to see a fluffy poodle puppy was uh, alive, yeah, <laughs> that's not bear bait or lion bait, and it just literally jumped into my arms, and I was like, oh, my new puppy. I was all excited. I'm like, where did this dog come from? And I hear around the corner, that's my puppy. And it was the irrigator that worked for Game and Fish that had just been hired, and he, he, got, he had this puppy. And then we started talking, and he told me where he got the puppy. And I thought, well, I want one of those puppies. <laughs> I don't know why at that moment I decided I wanted one, but I did. And so 
some messaging went back and forth on uh, with the ranch that this dog was at with this lady and it was at the Bitterroot Ranch, which is way out. It's the very last ranch on the East Fork of the Wind River. It doesn't get any farther into the mountains than that ranch. It's the last ranch on that road. We took a drive out there and we show up at this ranch. And as you know, if there's not someone, someone milling around the ranch, you don't really know where to go. I mean, there's ranch houses everywhere. There's cabins everywhere. And it just so happened that this man was in a, a truck moving hay, and I stopped and talked to him. And I said, I'm here to see Hadley. He's like, why? He's like, well, I heard that she has puppies. He's like, you know, kind of nodding at me. And he says, she's down there in that cabin. Good luck. I was like, good luck, okay. <laughs> My first. Yeah, the first, like, hmm, red flag, good luck from this man that I don't even know who he is. So I go down there and knock on the door, and you could tell that the animals had the run of the place, um, very well loved. There was a pot-bellied pig, there was all these animals just cr cruising around, but I didn't see any people. So I'm beating on the door and finally go around to the front porch, and there was all these poodles, so I was at the right place. And Hadley comes out. Well, Hadley's side of her head is caved in. She's wearing an eye patch. She does not look good. And I'm thinking, no one told me about this part. And immediately I knew why we were there. <laughs> it wasn't for the dog. Like, why would I want a poodle anyways? So. <laughs> You know, Daisy's gonna eat the poodle, which that was close a few times, anyone who knew my other dog, but uh, God spoke clearly to my mom and I. I mean, he brought my mom, too, all the way out to the Bitterroot Ranch, and we prayed for Hadley, and we asked her immediately, could we, it wasn't immediately, it felt immediately, like I could feel the urgency that this needed to happen, and we're not leaving here until God moves. And the Holy Spirit was already moving. I mean, you could just feel it in the air around that ranch. It was so intense. And we prayed for Hadley. We laid our hands on her, and we broke something off right there. I don't know everything that we broke off, but she was completely healed. She had been in the brain trauma unit for the last eight months in wherever the special brain trauma unit is, I think in Idaho, they have a special place there. She almost died. She had been bucked off her horse the following summer and landed on her head. And really, it's just a miracle to me that God brought us all the way out to the Bitterroot Ranch. For a, and then we ended up with the poodle. She first told us, well, I don't just give my dogs to anybody. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't either. So, <laughs> And this little runt of a poodle, which he was the tiniest dog ever, he was no bigger than a Kleenex box, um, came and crawled up in my lap as we're praying for Hadley. And she looked at me and she said, well, I guess this dog's going to Cheyenne. And so 
God just moved. We were there for two hours praying with Hadley. And Augustus is now home with us. And he he's very special. That dog is very sensitive. And I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful that we obeyed, even though I didn't know quite what was happening at the time. And Hadley made me promise to friend her on Facebook, which I'd just gotten Facebook, so it was kind of all for that dog. I got Facebook because I didn't like it and I didn't want it. But she promised that I had to send pictures and updates. And so that's how all that happened, too. Um, I think I'll end there. Thank you for babysitting. <laughs>
and I would go out into the community and I'd go into people's homes and uh, play for them. It was wonderful going into people's homes because I, I got to, with most of the patients, I was with them a lot longer than they are when they're in the Davis Center. And I got to know the family members more. But when the Davis Center was built, hospice started having me play in the Davis Center, and uh, which was wonderful, except that my hammer dulcimer and the wooden stand that it has to sit on, and, uh, the two together weighed, I think, 16 pounds, and then I had a gig bag, because I don't play from memory. And I thought, this is for the birds, because I'd go to a room, unpack my stuff, play, do my thing, pack up, and go to the next room. And I thought, this, there's got to be an easier way. Well, these programs, there are now, now a lot of these programs for therapeutic musicians, but um, a lot of them have been started by people who play the harp. And I thought, well, the harp has a beautiful sound. I don't know at age 67 whether I can learn a new instrument, especially something like a harp. But I played everything else, so um, I bought a beginner harp and ended up, this is my favorite, this is a carbon fiber harp that I have right now. And it's, it's wonderful. I had to part with an arm and the leg to buy it. But um, my wooden harp, which is the same size, same number of strings, weighs almost three times as much. And at my age, and I've just turned 80, I don't want to be carrying around all that stuff. Um, I like to show off. Looky there. This is very impressive. This is my best talent on the harp, lifting it. But um, in 08, I knew that the Lord was starting to send me a piece of music. And um, I thought it was going to be lots of nice arpeggios, you know. Well, when I finished it, it was nothing like that. And so I named this piece Spiritu.
Who's next? So I, so I have a bunch, but the Lord has given me like maybe four to say real quick. So I'm going to do them short, I hope. Um, when I was probably about eight or nine, um, well, I was born again when I was about seven in a mining town, um, and it was my next-door neighbors who were doing child evangelism, and they did this thing called One, One Way Club. And my parents were against religion, against church, and so they, because they'd been wounded by church, and so they did everything they could so that their daughter wouldn't be a fanatic. Well, they didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> so when I was about eight or nine, we were in a fishing trip in about a 14-foot um, wooden boat out on Bridgeport Reservoir. And that reservoir is probably about 10 miles long and about seven miles wide, and it's in the Sierras. And we were clear on the other side of it, near the dam, and a microburst, uh, Sierra thunderstorm came, and waves were whooping into the boat, and it was getting flooded. And neither my parents could swim. Um, I could swim, but I'm little. And I, the Lord has me singing this song at the top of my lungs. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the power of God was in that boat. You know, I knew we were going to be okay. And my parents were like, they were overwhelmed. They were scared. Um, just all kinds of crazy things were happening. And, but God got us to the shore. And my mom to, would tell that story. Here's Kim singing hymns. <laughs> and it got us to the shore. She says, I, she, it was a testimony to them. So that, that has stuck with me all my life, that that song will come, you know, whenever I face things that are just overwhelming. Um, so years later, we were, uh, cousins were up visiting, and we were going to take a trip to Flying M Ranch on this dirt road. And it's about 13 miles of dirt road, and it's got like washboards, and you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And we have this old, I believe it was a Chevy truck, and my cousins were following behind us in a, like a Volkswagen sedan thing. And we stopped at the, my mom wanted to stop at the post office and pick up our mail, and I, I had this sense, I said to her, no, I don't think we should. And so we didn't pick up the mail. So we were, what ended up happening is we topped a hill, and we were going just a little too fast, and we hit the washboards, and my mom overcorrected, and she hit a boulder on one side and then overcorrected, and we ended up rolling out in the desert 13 times, end over end. I, it's 13? That sounds long. I think it's seven. Sorry. That sounded long. But it was, yeah. 
Um, but it was end over end, and I remember going through the windshield the first roll. So I went through the front of the truck, and I felt a hand pushing me through the desert. And I knew I was going to be okay. I knew, I knew that I knew we were going to be okay. And my sister and my cousin were in the back of the truck, and so they flew out, and a dog, and all of us were fine. A cowboy saw all this happen, and he was up on a mountain, and he had a bag phone, <laughs> which was unheard of, you know, back then. But he called it in, and we, we got an ambulance help and things like that. But I knew that God had preserved my life and our lives. I knew that I knew. It was, and because everybody at the hospital, the ambulance crews, and the truck, you know, it, and um, they, people were amazed. And my mom, she would just look at me. <laughs> She'd be like, <laughs> there's something with this kid. So anyway, um, I, I just knew, you know, I knew, I knew that God was there. He had his hands on us. My sister got a little cut underneath her arm where she landed on the rock. They stitched that up fine. My mom got kind of twisted in the steering wheels, you know, back then were like that, and she got her arms and legs caught in it, and her wedding band got twisted through her fingers. She didn't even know that that had happened until we, the doctor, after everything's done, says to her, you know, you better let me take that ring out of your finger, you know, and they had to take it out. But anyway, we even found the dog. Dog was fine. Everybody was fine. So that was just before the strike. And the strike, you know, back in the old days, when Teamsters go on strike uh, at a copper mine, my dad lost his truck, so he didn't have a way to get another job. But God provided for us. And it's just amazing some of the things that God did. Like, my dad passed away during the strike, and the people in town bought my mom a trailer so she could live. And we had a place to stay. That was God. So, but more recently, because that's, um, we were moving out here, uh, May of 2003. And I was trying to get here before Thomas was born. And Tara was in labor. And we had rented this U-Haul truck. I'm pretty sure it was from the other place. Because... <laughs> Um, tires were bad on it, parts were flying off of it. <laughs> I was driving behind it in our Yukon and this piece comes flying out of it, hits my windshield, doesn't break it. But anyway, by the time we get to Wyoming and it's like, I don't know, midnight, there, we're in a blizzard and the truck won't go any faster than 45 miles an hour. Well, you know that's dangerous on I-80 in the dark in a blizzard. So we pull into Wagon Hound because uh, the dog needs to get out. And we lose the dog in the blizzard. And we're like, OK, now what? <laughs> so this tall, lanky guy comes walking out of the blizzard. And he says, I found your dog. Well, I don't even know why he was looking for it. But anyway, <laughs> he, said, he brings the dog over. He says, you folks look like you need some help. He says, I'll drive my 18-wheeler behind you with my flashers on, and I'll let you go ahead of me. And so he 
kind of escorted us, and he let all the other truckers know. And anyway, he escorted us from Wagon Hound to um, the turnoff there at Laramie to go down to Fort Collins so that we could get to Tasha's house. And meanwhile, Tara's contractions are going, getting better and bigger and bigger. But I, the Lord told me, he said, that was my angel trucker named James. So... This one's about my mom. Um, she came to know the Lord shortly before my dad passed away in 81. And um, after daddy passed away, she was really just consumed with the Lord. And she was an intercessor. The Lord would wake her up in the middle of the night and travail. And she wouldn't know who she was praying for. But... She spent her hand, her night on her knees and crying out to the Lord for whomever. And then every now and then, she would get a letter saying that, you know, somebody was praying for me. I don't know who you are, but I know you, somebody was praying for me. And so that was the Lord confirming to her that he, she was on the right track. Well, she remarried and uh, my, my, then all of that kind of slowed down because my stepdad wasn't a believer. And so she got to minister to all of his kids. And where they are in their walks, I have no idea. But um, mom felt like that was part of what she was supposed to be doing was to be ministering to this family. And after he passed away, um, mom ended up uh, having a, a surgery she had this bad incident at the beauty shop where she couldn't get, put any weight on her left leg. We thought that she had had a stroke. So they call my sister to come in, and uh, Kay says, no, you're, I'm not taking you anywhere. We're calling the EMTs to come in, and they'll take you because I don't want anything else bad to happen in my vehicle. So they ended up taking her to MCR in Loveland, and um, we're prepping her, ch checking her out, everything. She never had any major pain. All her vitals were fine, so they're getting ready to send her home. And the doc says, well, let's do one, let's do a last-minute chest x-ray. And uh, they come back, and everything in the ER just starts popping. She had a dissected aorta. And none of the symptoms for it. So the doc says, and um, me and my siblings were there, and we were joking around with her and all of that stuff, and didn't weren't taking the whole thing very seriously. And the doctor got kind of mad at us, but you know, it's like he's, this is really she could die right now. So um, she says, "Okay, kids, what do you want me to do?" And I said, "We're not making this decision. You decide." And she said, "Well." I'll go into surgery. If God wants me to survive, I'll survive. So she goes in, and he says it's about a six-hour surgery. She was in there for nine hours. And the doc said she will probably be in the hospital for about a month, and then she'll have an extensive rehab afterwards. And the first few days, my sister and I would go and... and uh, 
be in her room and you couldn't tell whether she was really there or not unless they were cleaning her breathing tube. And then when they were moving that in and out of her, she's just fighting and it's like, okay, mom's still with us. <laughs> Nine days later, she goes to rehab. And uh, a month after that, she goes home. And the doctor's just so excited because she's his miracle. And we kept telling her, Mom, God's not finished with you yet. And after that, she had multiple things happen. She had um, a urinary tract infection that put her back in the hospital because it got into her blood. And then she had shingles, which ended up causing nerve channel damage. So she still deals with the pain of that. And then because her system was so compromised... You know, she had an artificial tube in. The reason the surgery took so long is because her, when they went to put the bypass system into the veins or the, what, the veins in the neck, all of those started splitting also. So they had to keep working to find a place to put this bypass system before they could actually do the surgery. Um, but she survived it, and to this day she uh, heads up a Bible study. She go, does what they call a Stephen's ministry thing where she goes to people who can't come into church and takes communion to them. She has a couple of people that she visits on a regular basis and just reads uh, scriptures to them and just visits with them. Mom will be 87 in November. And uh, she had to quit driving because her vision is going. But she has so many friends that just pop up and say you want to go somewhere I'll take you let's go do this let's go do that and she's busier now and gone more now than she was when she drove so she had a friend has the most recent f person that she has uh had communications with is a lady who has major depression and she tries to come to church but has a hard time making herself go and so mom has said, well, just, just, we'll just get together at my house and we'll have a Bible study at my house. And um, like, like Kim was saying, and uh, this lady has turned around so much and she keeps th telling my mom, thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for not giving up on me. And I told mom, see, God's not finished with you yet. <laughs> I want the kids to be able to share before they're out of energy. So could we retrieve the kids from the other room? Um, we've just finished 12 weeks of their curriculum, Heaven is for Real. Tonight should have been the last lesson in our set, but we're losing our room. The kids' room is going to be you know, taken back by the owner, and they're going to have somebody else rent it. And... Jay's always told Steve that. Steve's the building owner. That if you need the space, we're willing to move or share or whatever we need because we don't pay full price for this. I don't even know if we pay half price. Steve is very generous with us. But um, so the kids' room, we've kind of torn it apart to get ready to lay different carpet and brought a bunch of their stuff out. And then we thought tonight the kids need to learn to share what's going on with them too, what they're learning. And in fact, they've been sharing because I've had feedback from parents about that. So hopefully the kids 
will talk a little bit up here if we can get them to come up or parents can help them share. But they've been learning how much Jesus really loves them, how real heaven is, how true the Bible is. And when Kim was speaking, I thought, okay, I do need to share this. There is a window of opportunity in a child's life, and it's documented from age 4 to 14 is the prime time for someone to receive Jesus, to connect with Almighty God for the rest of their life. It's something like 85% of people that ever come to Jesus come when they're 4 to 14. And they may fall away for a while, but then they come back, and it still counts. They met real Jesus when they were 4. So I have plenty of God stories from our kids' ministry over the years, but that's not what I want to share right now. I want these guys to share if they will. Daniel, will you help me tell a story? Hunter, Hunter, can you help me tell the parents all about heaven? Jaden, can you help me? Can we share the microphone and take turns? Because I was already a grown-up, and I didn't really understand what heaven was like. I sort of thought we were going to sit on a cloud and maybe sing some songs and not do anything. And if you know me very well, I'm a real doer. So that was kind of startling. I'm not sure what's going on in heaven or if I'm going to like it because I'm not going to do anything. So we studied about heaven in our ministry school with the vineyard and learned the Bible does reveal quite a bit about heaven. But our curriculum was all about about a boy's experiences and do you remember the boy's name um colton what happened to colton so he got to visit heaven does anybody remember he got sick he got sick and maybe you remember this is a real boy from nebraska so it didn't happen very far from here and it happened a few years ago because he was do you remember how old he was? Three. He was three years old, not quite four, and now I think he's about 13. And he actually visited Cheyenne last summer. He and his parents, they were at Little America to kind of tell their story and answer questions. And I didn't get to be there. I don't remember what was going on. But anyway, who wants to talk first about something awesome they learned about heaven or Jesus or God or anything? Me. Jesus was the one who died in a cave and the stone rolled away. And it was called the tomb. And Jesus is like our doorway, how we get into heaven, right? Yes. Because not everybody goes yes. there. Yes. <laughs> and Daniel, are you going to come help us too? You know, some of our stuff is laying back there on the countertop. Does anybody need to go get something? Do you want to get the sword? Or do you want to get the jewels? The jewels. Okay. Okay. Daniel. Daniel, can you go get the pictures of the animals? Get the pictures of the animals and come back. So this is what I learned through Patty. Patty, where are you? Do you want to help tell this? Patty, I think I have it right, said that Daniel's teacher at school overheard an interaction between Daniel and another child. And he, Daniel was telling his friend at school, what, about heaven? Or about Jesus? Do you remember? Do you remember what you're telling your friend? I mean, and this impressed the teacher so that she gave feedback to the parent. This is amazing. 
So, what's this? A sword of fire. God's angel. Lots of angels. And two really big ones. And one of them has a sword. And the sword was as big as Colton's dad. Do you want to do you want to tell about the jewels? Do you want to tell about the jewels? The jewels are what we made last week, a long time ago, and now they're all right here. And where, where did Colton see the jewels? Colton saw the jewels all over the walls. Of heaven, like covering the walls. Of heaven, like covering walls. Because it's very beautiful. Daniel, will you help me tell about the animals? Did you know there's animals in heaven? There was tigers and lions, and they were all nice. And cheetahs? No. Cheetahs and rabbits and birds and also eagles. Eagles? Hawks, sparrows, picks, peregrine falcons, and the and the people that like the animals. What about God's throne? There was, there was, there was. Uh, he had a spiky crown on him. Um, I don't know. Was God's throne big or little? Um, big. Were there any other thrones in the room? Yes. For who? God and Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. And... They brought in a little chair for Colton to sit in so he could be comfortable too. I'm asking, do you remember what the angels did to make Colton feel better? Because he was scared at first when he was all of a sudden in a new place. What did the angels do? Help him. They sing songs to him. There was healthy fruit and butterflies and ladybugs. We have lots of ladybugs in our backyard. One of the very first lessons in this series was how Jesus has already gone to heaven to make a place for each of us. And the kids that were there that Sunday drew their own room. They drew the room that Jesus is preparing for them. What was in your room, Hunter? Video games. What? Video games. 
TV. Yeah. And a like cubby thing. A big chair and a cubby thing. Awesome. My room has a dresser and a bed. And my bed has the jammy drawers attached. That's so cool. I don't, I don't remember for sure what else. But Colton's whole point, what he wants everyone to know, is Jesus really, really loves you. Right? And he really, really loves kids. And he really loves the grown-up grown-ups. <laughs> and he really loved the deep. <laughs> Thank you so much, kids, for helping me tell the story. So when we were singing Love is Moving, tonight, I'm and Garrett's moving around, I'm just remembering when Jaden used to move around up front. And her mom had set boundaries for her, and she knew where they were. But she could go from side to side and sit on the edge of the stage but not get up on it and move around and the adults would love on her. Do you remember that, Jaden? I do too. And so this isn't like the front parlor where children are not allowed in. This is the family room. And kids are allowed to be kids. They, they can move around and they can, you know, experience a lot of people and harps and all kinds of cool stuff. But I was imagining somebody about Garrett's size just walking around the room and putting their chubby little hand on people and then being healed and delivered, you know? And he wouldn't even have words for it to pray or he wouldn't even know who to go to except the Holy Spirit would say, touch that one. I know it's going to happen. God actually lets me Fill people's hearts with love from God. And that's the truth. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So we're, we're going to pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. And we'll just all do it together tonight. So we, we are the redeemed. And you know what that means? That, that means you've been bought and paid for. So you're, you're not your own. You've been chosen. And since you've been purchased... You, you have access 
to the one who purchased you. Because that's why he purchased you. And, and the Lord wants us to come to him with joy and with gratitude. And then the Lord showed me a picture of that with one of our dogs, Tozer. So I think he got in trouble a lot from a, a previous owner. So when he would come to me, he would act like he was in trouble. And it was a lot more fun for me when he would just come and be all happy and like that and not come like with a guilty conscience or something <laughs> waiting to be hit or kicked or whatever used to happen to him and the Lord said you know I I really like it when you come with with joy and and thanksgiving cuz we we come to the lord by the blood of jesus not by how good a day or week we've had uh, not by any righteousness that that we have on our own it's it's by the blood of Jesus so let's celebrate that together tonight So, where the Lord's taking us is he doesn't want us to be outer court people anymore. So, let's agree with him on that, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that we have access to the Father because of you, because of what you did for us. We have healing because of what you did for us. So, Father, we ask you to bless the bread and the juice tonight as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. And I pray that you would just break off of us guilt and shame once and for all. As we are the sons and daughters of God.
he has stuff for us to do. So Jesus, we remember your body that was broken for us. And we receive that broken body. And Jesus, we thank you for your blood that cleanses us, that gives us access to the throne. May we no longer live, may we no longer approach you as, as though that access is in question. So we remember and we thank you. <coughs> now let's draw near to the Lord as we close with the two last songs let's let's encounter him I didn't share this with Phil, so I don't know what he's going to say. Um, we moved here in December of 2002. And um, Phil knew he was working for the Air Force, and he knew for about three years that he was going to lose his job. And he applied everywhere, and there was never any opening. And the day before he got his pink slip, he got a phone call from this guy in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And he came home and he says, I got a job offer in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I went, oh, where is that? <laughs> so anyway, he told the guy, he says, I'm not getting my pink slip till tomorrow, so I have to wait. And the guy says, I'll call you back tomorrow. So then he went to the meeting and everybody was getting laid off, losing their job. And he had this job offer. And um, according to the Air Force, you have to apply first within the area where you're in and then the next area and on and on. And so he wouldn't have been able to get this job. And his friend that was sitting there asked the officer that was speaking, my friend here got a job offer in Cheyenne, Wyoming, but he can't take it. And the guy said, um, you go see that lady over there and she'll sign your paper. You can take the job. So we, we left within three weeks of that, I think. We didn't know we were moving, but within three weeks, we were on the road. And we left in the middle of a snowstorm, being in December in Massachusetts. And um, 
we drove into uh, Pennsylvania and we stayed overnight and the next morning we were two cars. He had his old Blazer and I had a Maxima, a fairly new car. And the next morning his Blazer started but my Maxima didn't. And so we waited because it was so cold. It was below zero, I think. But anyway, uh, he kept going back and trying and finally we called the tow truck. and. He, they came and they were just pulling the car up to the flatbed and Phil says, let me try it one more time. So he did and the car started. <laughs> and so we kept going from there and we took our time. We stopped to see my stepson in Pennsylvania and we went on we, and never had any problem with the car again. Stopped in Denver to visit my kids and then here and uh, we were staying on base for a couple of weeks and one morning he goes up to the car and the car wouldn't start. So we called the garage and they came and towed it and um, they called us and they says, did you have some work done on this car lately? And we had just prior to leaving Massachusetts. And uh, the guy says, this car shouldn't have started. They should have changed the key and they never did. So God started our car all the way up to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we're thankful that he brought us here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was some kind of... Uh, yeah, it would stop. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the God provided us to come here. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. So was this fun? Mm -hmm. This is like the description of 1 Corinthians 14. And when you come together, everyone has a word, a song, a hymn, a testimony. And we'll, we'll do this again. And a harp, yeah. <laughs> so Father, thank you for being here among us. We thank you that you chose us. And that's all the permission we need to keep going. So we say yes, Lord. We want to keep going. Have your way. Lord, bless us as we go. Keep us present to you and your kingdom as we go. Because, Lord, we want to see your kingdom expand through us. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. And bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.